Okay, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 6. 1 Samuel 22, verse 6. Then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height, with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjaminites, will the son of Jesse also give to all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me, so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me, or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. Then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Nob, come to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Okay, so David has, has come back into the land. He's in the forest of, of, of Hereth. He told us at the end of verse 5. And Saul, find, Saul learns of his coming into the land. So remember, he's with at least, um, at least 400 men, plus wives and probably some children and, and his own family. So maybe you've got 600 or more people that he's with, and so he's, he can't travel very quietly. That's David, and so Saul hears of this, and Saul is sitting, it says, in Gibeah, which was his hometown, this, this Gibeah of Saul, and it says he was under the tamarisk tree on the height. And remember, uh, some of you may have been in our home when that, that, uh, uh, that professor from, from the UK came and spoke about locations in the Bible. But just think about this. It names the, the tamarisk tree on the height. So this means nothing to us in particular today. But it meant a lot to the people in that day. And even though this book was written some number of years after the events occurred, maybe 25, 50 years after the events occurred, that tamarisk tree was there. So it was a landmark for them. You know, if you're, if you're making this up, a thousand years after it happened, you don't go with the specificity of the type of tree and where it was. Here, this meant something to the people. So again, it, it, it speaks to us of the authenticity of the scriptures, the type of tree that was there, and it being on that, on that hill. And it said he was sitting there with the spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. And then he goes into this, this, complaint, this complaining mode. He said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjaminites. So he's speaking to people from his own tribe. So remember what had happened earlier in this book that, that uh, Samuel the prophet said, when you get a king, he's going to appoint his friends and give them lots of your land and lots of your, your, your best land. He's going to give them your best vineyards and he's going to take from you to give to his friends, as many politicians do. And this is exactly what he did. He did this to his own tribe and he built them up in this way. He said, Hear now, O Benjaminites, will the son of Jesse, 
So in other words, will the son of Jesse, Jesse being from the tribe of, of Judah, so if another king comes in now from the tribe of Judah, you're going to lose everything you have. Will he give you all of the fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? So he took his own tribe and he set them in all of these grand positions. Then he starts complaining. He says, for all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with with David, when my son has him, David helps David uh, 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 ambush me as he is this day, which David wasn't doing. But you see, he's getting in this complaining mode. I don't know if you've ever gotten into a mode of complaining where everything in life is bad. Have you ever gotten that way? I've gotten that way. And, and uh, you know, you, you start getting in this mode where everything you look at is bad. School is bad. Your professors are bad. Work is bad. Where you live is bad. Your roommate's bad. Your parents are bad. Everything is bad. The only good thing is you. The only good thing in all of this is me. You know, it's, it's, it's everything else around me is bad. And when I, when I start complaining like this, Shireen always points it out. You know, it's usually some complaint about something. And she says, why don't you go start your own church? Then it'll be a perfect church, wouldn't it? And, and then I get the picture. Um, so he's get, gotten into this mode and it's a real lack of contentment and it's amazing what happens and I've seen as people get older they have a tendency to sometimes slip into this mode of everything being bad you know the Bible says that godliness with contentment is a means of great gain that's what the Bible tells us in, in, first, in first Timothy chapter 6 it says, godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. We brought nothing into the world and will take nothing from it. If we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. You know, the Bible never promises us shelter over our head. It promises us, as believers in Christ, food and clothing. That's all the promises are. So if you have an apartment, if you have a room, if you have a bed, that is an added blessing. It is not something that you and I deserve from God. Jesus said, the, fox, the birds of the air have nests, the fox of, 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 of the field have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus goes on and he, he says that, that uh, why do you worry about what you will eat and what you will drink and with what you will clothe yourselves? The Gentiles worry about all of these things. He says, your heavenly Father knows you need those things. He'll give them to you. He'll give you food. He'll give you clothing. This is what He will give you. He never promises us to give us anything else. And we can get all bent out of shape because we don't have this or that in our lives or we don't have a car. You know, Everybody has a car, but I don't have a car. And feel that life is miserable. But remember, the promises from God are that when it comes to material things in this world, that He would give us food and that we, He would give us clothing. So if we have any more than that, that is added blessing. That is additional blessing beyond His promise. And so He gets in this mode of complaining, and He says to all His people around Him, He says, all of you are against Me. Have you ever felt like that, that everybody is against Me? And so He's going in, and here's the king. He has all of this. He has this, you know, he's in charge of everything. So position, position in this world doesn't all of a sudden make us content. We think, well, if I could just have that position, then I'll be happy. 
Not so. If I could just have that person in my life, then I'd be happy. You know, if that, if, if that person became my husband, or that person became my wife, then I'd be happy. Or if I had that job, or if I had that car. None of that will fulfill. Here is a guy who has everything. He is the king of the land. And he feels as everybody is against him, and he has nothing. And so nobody comes forward to speak except this man in verse 9, Doeg the Edomite. So Edom was this land south of Israel. It is present-day Arabia. And uh, uh, that's where Doeg was. And, And we had learned in another portion that Doeg was the chief of all of Saul's shepherds. He's a pretty tough guy. And so Doeg says, uh, you know, I saw, I saw David in, in, uh, uh, in Nob, which is just outside Jerusalem. I saw him there, and he met with, with uh, uh, Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And we had read about this in the last chapter, in chapter 21. And it says that Doeg saw David there. And he says, in verse 10, he says, uh, 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 Ahimelech, he inquired of the Lord for him, he gave him provisions, and he gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So we know that indeed it's true that he gave him the sword of Goliath. Indeed, he gave him five loaves of bread. We don't have any record of, of uh, uh, the priest inquiring of the Lord for David. He may have, he may not have. Maybe Doeg was lying, maybe he wasn't. We don't have any record of that. And so, the king in verse 11 sends for the priest. Not just the priest, but all the men of the city. All the priests, all those descended from from Aaron, who are of the priestly class now. And these were of the line of Eli. And so, in verse 11, it says, Then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household, the priests who were in Nob, Nob, and and, and they came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered him, Here I am, my lord. Saul then said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me in that you have given him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair. But the king said to him, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, and all your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death, because their hand was also with David, because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. But the servant of the king, the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, You turn around and attack the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priests and killed that day eighty five men who wore the linen ephod. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, and oxen and donkeys, and sheep he struck with the edge of the sword. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on the day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have brought about the death of every person in your father's household. 
Stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you are safe with me. Wow. So, what happens is that, that King Saul sends for the priests. The priests say, you know, I had, I, didn't, had, I had no idea. Remember, David had lied and said, you know, I'm, not, I'm just you know, here on, on Saul's business. The priests knew nothing about this. It says that Saul turned to, to uh, his men, and the particular word there is his runners. This was his personal execution, executioners, and they wouldn't even kill the priests because they knew that this would be quite a sacrilege for them to do this. So he turns to the Edomite, because the Edomite had no particular affection for, for the priesthood, and he goes ahead and he kills 85 men that day, and then he goes to the city, to Nob, and he kills all the women all the children, all the infants, and all the animals. And here is King Saul that would not execute total destruction upon, uh, 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 upon the, the Amalekites. And here he is executing total destruction among his own. And so you see the insanity of the man. And all of this is, is probably for three reasons. One is David lied to the priests. Another is, is Saul's insanity. But the third part is in, in 1 Samuel... Chapter 2, it talks about the judgment in verse 31 through 34 that a, a prophet of God had come to Eli and said, your whole line is going to be cut off, every one of them. But there will be a surviving line, but they won't remain in the priesthood. And here is the judgment of God. This is now 80 years later, 100 years later. This is the judgment of God as was prophesied to Eli. The entire line of Eli was being wiped out, except this one young son, Abiathar, escapes. And that's what the prophet had said. It won't be totally wiped out, but they'll be out of the priesthood. Now, Abiathar becomes priest for a while, but he's eventually tossed out of the priesthood because of his going against the king's command later on in, in his life. But we'll see that later. But you see that this happens. So, what, what, would, what would you think... If you were responsible for the death of not just one person, but hundreds of people because of something you had done. So say you're, uh, you're driving down the road and you inadvertently run a red light, which happens. You know, sometimes you're driving and you're not quite paying attention and you run through a red light. Has that ever happened to anybody that mistakenly they've run a red light? Okay, it's happened to me. You know, this happens. It doesn't happen often, but in all of my life I can remember twice when I went through a red light and people were like, they're riding with me. You know, you just went through a red light? I said, was it red? I wasn't really paying attention. So that does happen sometimes. So if you think that, oh, how, how could that ever happen? Don't get so prideful. Just pray that it doesn't happen. And it just so happened on the occasions where it happened to me, there was nothing else around. Anyway, so say you inadvertently run a red light and... You're responsible for the death of a family because of that. How would you feel? Feel pretty bad, wouldn't you? Be tough waking up the next morning, wouldn't it? You know, you're thinking about this sort of thing. Here is what David had done. And David is now responsible for the death of this entire clan of the priesthood. And here is this young man coming to David, the, the, the sole survivor of this whole family line of Eli, this one young man is coming. And remember what I told you last week, this amazing ability of David to recover from failure. 
Now let's see what's going through David's mind in all of this. Let's turn to Psalm 52 and see what he wrote in the midst of this. What was going through his mind? So again, the beauty of, of, of 1 Samuel is we have the book of Psalms to get the inside picture of David's mind in all of these occasions. You know, you always wondered, what, what are these men thinking about when this happened? What was going through their mind? The beautiful thing is we have it with David. So Psalm 52. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Okay, so what he does in verse 1 through 4, he defines what doeg is. He defines doeg. And he says, you mean destruction. And he defines Saul as well. But he's defining now Doeg for what he had done. And so he, he, he doesn't mince words about this. But you see that his complaint is not to his fellow man. His expression of this is between him and God. When you get alone with God, God loves this. You just open up your heart to God and this is what David's doing. Now in verse 5 he says, But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him, saying, Behold a man who will not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. So what he does is he defines then what's going to happen to this man. David knew that God avenges. God definitely avenges. And if you think that he doesn't avenge today, you're wrong. God avenges. The New Testament tells us this, and we'll look at this. God avenges. He does this. And here, he defines this, and he says, this is going to happen to you. It may not happen tomorrow. But if you mess around like this, God will get you. You know, when we cheat, when we deceive, you know, we think that, oh, nothing's really going to happen. It will. We will be at loss. We will be at loss. You know, if we don't come and confess these things to the Lord and deal with these things and just store these things up, we will be at great loss. Now look what he says in verse 8. He says, But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. And I will wait on your name, for it is good, in the presence of your godly ones. This is almost not fair. This is not fair. Here is a guy who has, because of his actions, has caused the, the destruction of hundreds of people. He wasn't responsible for it himself, and it wasn't like he intended on doing it, but he was a part of this process when he had gone and he had lied about this thing. And How could he recover so quickly? Why is it that this man could recover so quickly? This is a tremendous lesson for us when we have failure in our life to learn how to recover. Most believers do not recover from failure very well, especially gross failure. It totally straps their whole life. And it is almost unfair that God should be so forgiving toward us that we can recover like we do. But God calls us to recover. Look what David says. He says, but as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. 
No, David, you should feel terrible about yourself. Feel bad. Don't recover so quickly. David has this amazing ability to recover. He says, I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I'll tell you, as believers, if you want to be able to minister into the lives of other people, you have to be able to recover. You have to be able to move from one to another. Let me show you this in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 12. You know, and David did not set his life on bringing about vindication upon Doeg. You don't see David saying, I'm going to search out Doeg and I'm going to destroy this guy. You don't see this vengeance in David. You see in one occasion of vengeance in David's life, and it's pointed out to him, and immediately backtracks, and immediately backs off. That's with Nabal, but we'll read about that later. But David is not seeking his own vengeance. So if you look in Romans chapter 12, we're going to read a portion that has to do with what the New Testament instruction is to us as believers. So remember, from the epistles, we get our instruction. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start reading in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. David does not sit there in his time and start proclaiming about how he's going to destroy Doeg for what he did. He's moving on. He's moving on with his life. The Bible tells us as believers, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If you and I could learn to get by, get past those who have done us harm, we will save ourselves great trouble. Great trouble. We are commanded, this is a commandment, bless those who persecute you. So somebody does something to you, you are to bless them. And I have done this. I have gone to people that have hurt me and I've blessed them. And what happens is I end up liking them. Once I've blessed them, I end up liking them all the more. He says, bless and do not curse them. The first things that want to come out of our mouth are cursing these people for what they've done to us. The Bible commands us not to do this. We have to learn to get past this. David so quickly got past this. It almost looked unfair that he could get past this. Then he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We are instructed to be happy with those who are happy and to weep with those who weep. One one student in the class, her dad just passed away this week. And uh, 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 he fell off the roof of, he was working on the roof of the garage and he, and he just died this past week. And so Shireen and I called her and we just, you know, just went through this with her. We weep with those who weep. But I can't stay there. You see what I mean? I can't stay there. I need to go on because there's some other student rejoicing. I need to rejoice in, with them with where they're rejoicing. As believers, we are commanded 
to empathize with those that are going through things. He says, you rejoice with those who rejoice, you weep with those who weep. We have to be able to go into things and rise up from this and realize that God is over all the earth. And we have to be able to move through things. You don't stay there. And you can't go around and kick yourself the whole time and say, what's going on with the world? God is so unfair. Why did this guy just fall off the roof? You can't stay there. You need to move on. Now, this is her father, so she's going to be there a while. But as those who are coming to comfort her, you can comfort her. And then you move on. And then it says, we are to be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. It is so much fun to associate with the lowly. And as God moves you up in positions, in leadership, associate with the lowly. Be sure to reach out to those who are, you know, clean the place, clean the colleges. Reach out to them. Treat them differently than other people treat them. If you say a kind word to, a, to the janitorial staff, you know, it really blesses them. My janitor comes into my office all the time for prayer. All the time coming for prayer. You know, when her, when her feet are hurting, I say, okay, sit down, let me pray for you. You know, you do something and it really touches them. And it says, it says uh, do not be wise in your own estimation. This is a tremendous word. You're going to graduate some pe- someday and people are going to think, wow, you are really smart. You graduated from Rice. Wow. You must be really smart. That is fine for them to say. But in your own estimation, don't take upon yourself wisdom. All right? Do not be wise in your own estimation. This is a tremendous word. And as you go and as you excel in life and as you move from one stage to another, do not be wise in your own estimation. Let people say what they'll say. But in our own estimation, the Scriptures warn us do not to look at ourselves as being of any particular wisdom. Then he goes back in verse 17, he says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Wow, this is a tremendous word. No matter what they did to me, I should never pay them back. The Bible says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. You see how high our calling is in Christ? He has raised this bar so high. It is no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It is no longer for us. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So, the person who has done me wrong, I am not permitted by God to pay them back in like way. I am not permitted to do that. As believers, we are not permitted. To do so would be disobedience to God. And we, we pay a price for disobedience. Even though in the world's eyes, and the world would often encourage you to do this, oh, just do this. You know, just take them to court and just sue them right into the ground. No, we can't do that. We cannot do that. We are never to pay back evil for evil to anyone. And God will give you grace. It says, Respect what is right in the sight of all men, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Again, a commandment. Never take your own revenge. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We leave this in God's hands. God will repay. God will do it. That's between God and that individual. What happens is, if you get this thought that I'm going to pay this person back sometime in my life, I'm going to pay them back, 
like they did to me. You bind yourself to this individual and it's very hard to free yourself and it will pull you down because it's a direct disobedience to God. He says that you are to do good to, to these people. You are to feed them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with a good act. You take the person who has done something wrong to you and you do them a good act. You know that they like Starbucks coffee? Buy them some Starbucks coffee. In that act, you will like them more. It will cause you to like them. You overcome evil with a good act. You don't overcome evil by doing them wrong. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Jesus spoke of the exact same thing in Luke chapter 6. Luke Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. I mean, how is that for a list of what we're supposed to do? He says, we are to love our enemies, we're to do good to those who hate us, we're to bless those who curse us. So somebody curses us, we're to bless them in return. We're to pray for those who mistreat us. I have done this in my life. I have prayed for people that have mistreated me. And you know what happens? God blesses them according to my prayer. God blesses them according to my prayer. And it changes my heart, my heart attitude toward them. Then, then he goes on, he says in verse 29 of Luke chapter 6, Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. Whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks for you, and whoever takes what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others in the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So this, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standing of, standing, standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That verse is often used in the context of give, giving money. It was never given in the context of giving money. It may well work in the context of giving money, but it was not given in that context. It was given in the context of pardoning and showing mercy of not condemning, in verse 37. It says, do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. So, in other words, if if I judge a little bit, 
I'm going to get back many times over because it says, for by your standard of measure, it'll be measured to you, pressed down, shaken together, it'll be measured to you in return. But it says it's going to pour out into your lap. So if I don't pardon a little bit, I'm going to get a lot of non-pardoning from other people. If I show mercy, a little bit of mercy, I will receive a lot of mercy in my life. It is the principle of sowing and reaping. You sow one kernel of corn, you get, I don't know, 10,000 kernels back from one kernel of corn. If you sow mercy, if you sow pardoning, if I pardon others, I will be pardoned. That's what it says. We all want mercy, don't we? We all make mistakes. We all blow it. We all lose our tempers. We all do things we shouldn't do. We all say things we shouldn't say. If we want to be pardoned, we must learn to pardon. And we shouldn't seek vengeance. You know how it says in the Lord's Prayer, which we pray, it says, And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you know what the next verse says? It says, Okay, and if you forgive, if you pardon, your Heavenly Father will pardon you. And if you don't, He won't. That's what it says. Turn over to to Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In verse 12. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now look in verse 14. For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And you say, wow, that's kind of harsh. Well, you just asked him in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He says, okay, I'll do that. Has anyone here never prayed the Lord's Prayer? This thing that we call the Lord's Prayer, which actually he told for us to pray. This was not his prayer. This is, he's teaching us to pray. So this is our, has anyone here never said that? Okay, so we're all obliged now. Alright? We all stand trapped by this. If you don't forgive others, if I don't forgive others, it says my Heavenly Father will not forgive me. Because I've asked Him to treat me the same way I treat others. Go. Now this is a serious word. David was able to free himself from this and move on in life. The Bible very specifically tells us we must forgive. And in doing that, we will be great overcomers. If we learn to pardon, we will receive much pardoning. And I I need to be pardoned a lot because I blow it so often. And my children remind me of that all the time. All the times I blow it, they, 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 they keep a very good accounting of it. And they remind me over and over again. I, said, I say, okay, I'm sorry, all right? I'm sorry. Okay, but just remember, don't do this again. Don't, okay, I'm sorry. So I have a great accounting of this thing. I need pardoning. I want mercy in my life. And it says that I will receive mercy just overflowing if I give a little bit of mercy. This is what God calls us to, something much greater. We can be like David so that we don't have to be married to this thing. We can just press on with our lives and move on in the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace of God, for the mercies of God. Father, I pray that you would work on my heart and on the hearts of these young people to cause us 
to be able to move on in things in our lives. That the grace of God would so surround us that we would be able to move on. And let the things that people have said to us and done to us, as this New Testament calls us to do, to bless those that curse us, to pray for those that mistreat us, to never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Father, I pray that we could learn to walk in this and so be called sons of God. Father, that your mercies would surround us in this way and that we would be free. In the name of Jesus. Amen.